You're on hallowed ground here. You're about to witness something that no one else on Earth has ever seen before. Let's see if you can handle this! Guess this is your lucky day, you cat. Welcome to the North Pole. Santa! <laughs> Kate Pierce. How did you get here? You and Jack are supposed to be on vacation with your family. Our shuttle fell into this wormhole. Have a nice trip. Aren't you Mrs. Claus? Uh-huh. Ah! What is that thing? Use an F. You're in Santa's village, the real one. Wow, this is incredible. We have over 300,000 shops in the village. Whoa. Everyone designed by Mrs. Claus. <laughs> she designed this place. I think it should be called Mrs. Claus's Village. Me too. Well, I never thought of that. Of course you didn't. What is that? That is the Christmas star. Created by the forest elves in 312 AD. The star protects us and keeps us hidden. And I'm here to steal it. What's happening? I'm gonna make everybody forget that the North Pole and Santa Claus ever existed. Bell's nickel. This is bad. Without the star, the North Pole, the village, Christmas is doomed! Like for this year? Like forever. You can't let that happen. Christmas must endure. Let's do this. We have to stop him! <laughs> Hold on tight. This might get a little rough. Isn't it dangerous out there? I'm arming you with these. You're arming me with cookies. You spend every hour of every year getting ready for one lousy day. Help me, somebody! A day that brings joy to children all over the world. And that will never change. Sometimes I think you actually enjoy these little dangerous escapades. I, I, well, I, I, eh. Welcome again to yet another stocking stuffer. We are into the big budget spectacular portion of the season with what I have to imagine cost the most money of any movie on the list this year. And, you know, again, I'm a cheapskate. I can't can't do this on my own. I don't have the money to pay for it. So I bring in somebody who knows a good value when he sees one. And I had to go far for this. I have to go across the pond to Great Britain to bring on the one and only Elwood Jones. Welcome, Elwood. Well, thank you, Emily, for having me back. It's so nice to once again spend the festive season with you, mm-hmm. even if it's for like a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been, you were with us for one of the Masters of Horror episodes. And before oh, that, right. yes. yeah, before that, you were with us for the the first Christmas Chronicles, now a franchise. And I have to believe they're going to probably keep making them until they decide not to or until Kurt Russell decides he has better things to do. Um, but part two was, I think, fairly um, anticipated, if you will, as a movie, as movies go. Yeah, I mean, when it came to Christmas Chronicles 2, I remember when we talked about the first film, it was all like, wow, I'd really like to see another round of this, because it was a, a fun piece of escapism. It mm-hmm. wasn't like, 
it wasn't the most uh, intensive uh, movie-going experience, and it amused me the fact that you had serious critics trying to provide serious critique on, <laughs> on this. It's like, why are you trying to review a Christmas movie? This is like a a really bizarre thing to try and do because Christmas movies, by the whole, don't actually fall into the usual sort of critical standards because you're watching them usually in some form of like food coma, and it's just like yeah. throwaway TV. So you. You're you know, right. You the standards go away. They are, it's a whole different set of standards. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's. I just find it really funny. Just like I said, when you try and you try and compare, like it's like you're trying to compare like a mainstream blockbuster. Like if we compared like Mank to this film, and it's like no, they're just made for two completely different purposes. Yeah. So yeah, although they did bring on the big guns in terms of directing in this one. This now the first film was directed by Clay Cadis, who had only his only other like big credit was the Angry Birds movie. I have not seen it. I cannot comment on the quality of that one. But on this one, they were like, "No, we're we're investing for this movie. We are going to bring on the guy who brought us such holiday multi-billion-dollar films as Home Alone and Harry Potter one and two. It's Chris Columbus in the director's chair." Yes. I mean, you say that say Chris Columbus has been a big gun, but you always forget that Chris Columbus directed all these things and then pretty much just disappears. He's like uh, no. the director of The Rocketeer, who I don't think did anything until he came back to do, like, Captain America. I Well, no, 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 no. I would say, well, Chris Columbus did also, did, was a, did a lot of producing. Um, he, yeah. re- like, he really actively worked as a producer and I think was also like not really a hands-off producer. I think he was heavily involved in a lot of what he worked on. But in terms of film, um, Adventures in Babysitting, Heartbreak Hotel, Home Alone, uh, Home Alone 2, Mrs. Doubtfire, Nine Months, Stepmom, Bicentennial Man, which nobody thinks well of. Then you have the Harry Potters. Then you have Rent. And after that, he probably should have stepped away for a long time. But he's still actively been writing. He did, um, I guess, the Percy Jackson movie from 2010. Pixels, yep. which I didn't see, but made a whole lot of money. So the it's guy, all right. it's it. I yeah, I remember seeing the trailer way too many times because it kept playing when I would see something, um, yeah. and thinking, oh god, this looks awful. But you know, there have been was... worse Adam Sandler movies, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it was you know Adam Sandler, you know, trying to act rather than trying to get a free vacation, and yeah. and on the nostalgia level, it, it was pretty charming. So yeah. Yeah, but I think he splits a lot of time with producing. I think his movies, too, are generally very big to where he probably needs a lot of time with them. Like Harry Potter and the the first two Harry Potters are only one year apart of a release. But those had to take a very long time in terms of casting and all that stuff. I think he was still involved in the third one in a um, producing capacity. So... The guy stays really busy for a guy who I assume owns more money uh, than everybody else in these movies combined. Like, Or rather, not this movie, but if you took all of the made-for-TV movies and added up their salaries, I don't think it would be the equivalent of, like, you know, what he spends in housekeeping in a year. Because this guy's got to be rich. <laughs> I mean, you yes, I mean, he made the... He managed to launch the Harry Potter franchise, mm. and you you can't imagine that he just stepped away after two movies. You've got to imagine that he was involved somewhere behind sure. the scenes. Yeah. So he comes back to direct this, and I think he was a producer on the first Christmas Chronicles. Um, yep. 
And you you guys heard the trailer. So let's go into the movie, if you will. So Elwood, can you give us kind of a synopsis <laughs> and know that it's okay to spoil because we're assuming everybody has watched the movie now. It's on Netflix. Netflix is shoving it down your throat every time you turn on Netflix or watch anything else on Netflix. This will come up as the next thing you should watch. So I guarantee you guys have all watched it. Oh, really? I, I think because I watched this like the day one it came out that Netflix haven't bothered me with it. They're ah. just bothering me with like any sort of like Asian dramas and things that are coming out. So okay. um, I guess I've been lucky in that respect. I've thrown but, off their uh, algorithm so much by also yeah. it, in part, it might be because I've watched, I've now watched Christmas on the square three times. So that might be part of it, but yeah, I am not getting the same quality of recommendations that I used to. I imagine that, you know, we've obviously where you're stuck in stuff is they just imagine you're like one of those people who separate Christmas all every day is what the Netflix algorithms reading you as. <laughs> Suddenly they put me in a very different camp from the one that used to only watch like the fifth film in horror franchises nobody's ever heard of. So yeah, that's true. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, but yeah, the sequel, as I said, this is a sequel to Christmas Chronicles. Uh, We pick up the story with Kate Pierce, who's a true believer. If you remember from the first film. Awful. Yep. So she's uh, on holiday in some, I want to say, is it Cancun? I think they're in Cancun, yeah. So she's uh, there with her her brother and uh, mother, and her mother's decided that she's going to... She's got involved with Tyrese Gibson, who plays Bob, because Tyrese Gibson's now in that demographic (laughs) of playing, like, the dad rose now, and he's got a son. That's so weird. That is a weird day when suddenly Tyrese Gibson's the hot stepdad. So, yeah, he's there with his uh, son Jack, who, uh, due to... The fact that uh, he lost his mother has become ultra safety conscious and has like ultimate panics about everything. And uh, at the same time, over in uh, Santa Land, shall we say, um, the evil former elf Belschnickel has decided to plot, plot to take over the North Pole um, with his own evil scheme of things. So he's uh, pitted against uh, Santa Claus and uh, the now newly introduced uh, Mrs. Claus played here by Gordy Horn uh, in particular setting out to steal the magic star which keeps the Santa's village hidden from the real world so uh, Kate is uh, kidnapped uh, by uh, Belschnickel along with uh, Jack and used as a way for a way to get into Santa's village and well you know the usual festive chaos follows um, as we get uh we get to see two festive icons go against each other in this one, and it's got none of the awful campiness of like the Santa Claus free. Mm. Yeah, th- this one I'm going to give everybody a warning because I was not ready to handle this when I turned this on and realized it was one hour and fifty five minutes. <laughs> My, it was almost like it. It seems like that is a crime, and it did not have to be that long. I think it's fine because I think this is a movie that you kind of, I think a lot of families will put it on and walk away and like, it's one that like the kids can watch and then run away and do something else and come back in and, and get back into it. But I was, I do not, did, there were, there were storylines that did not need to be as long as they were. Oh yeah, there's a whole section of this film that did not need to, to be there. Yes. Um, but I think. Well, we seemingly only needed to be there just to sort of quell the concerns of Kate. Um, 
but uh, do we come back to that, those a bit later? Yeah, well, let's let's go into it because let's kind of dive into the the tropes of a made-for-TV Christmas movie okay. because I want to talk about Kate. So Kate, I think, would be our lead in need of a lesson. And oh man, look, I get it. Like I've been around teenagers, and I understand sometimes they're really awful. And, you know, we kind of needed her to be in this bad place so that she could evolve into a better place. But I wanted to, I wanted to, my computer, my my TV, to be at the stage of the future that we know we're going to get to soon where you can press a button and 3D print whatever's on the screen. Just so I could 3D print her and smash her face. Because she <laughs> is such a little fucking bitch in this, op- in the opening. Is she not? I mean, yes, I get to see she's she's bratty, but at the same time, for myself at least, they kind of justify it because her being a true believer, she likes Christmas to be traditional. So you know, it's all snow and cookies and caroling and just trees and just all the usual things, and not having Christmas in a warm, sunny place. And it's, yes, I can agree, it's no fun to really try and have Christmas. Oh, in on this Cancun. beautiful beach in this very expensive resort where there's like a whole, like you can be unsupervised in kids town or you could sit on the beach or you could go have coconut milk. Like it's this gorgeous, beautiful vacation locale. And yeah. she is an ungrateful little snot about it. And here's yeah, her mom who's been so happy. unhappy, who's been working so hard, and now gets to bang Tyrese Gibson, and she's gonna try to cockblock that. Not cool. Oh, but yeah, again, I'm not I've never really been sold on Tyrese Gibson as a, an actor. I don't think anything. he needs and, to act. I think he just needs to look very pretty. And yes, I mean he's you know, he's uh, this rare situation where he's a stepfather figure who hasn't got an agenda. Yeah. He's just a nice guy who happens to like the same Christmas song as her dad did. Um, <laughs> and God damn him, the fact he wants to sing Old Christmas Tree, but by the time we come back to the end of this, it's all going to work itself out and it's going to make for the perfect musical ending here. <sighs> but uh, yeah, I mean, she's not happy the fact that uh, she's stuck in this, this warm tropical place. Her brother doesn't exactly care because he's too busy trying to knock boots with uh, the locals. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's apparently one Christmas adventure was enough for him. <laughs> well, I guess I know that, you know, that actor is older now. He was in the babysitter and the babysitter too. I wonder if it was like, now nah, we're only going to, we're going to fly you out to Cancun. That's it. We're not taking you to the green screen room because that's <laughs> the other part of this. Like you, you do have beautiful filming in Mexico and then the rest of the film is just on a giant green screen, right? Yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, you know pretending where you are is cold or festive. Yes, and you know, yes. That film of this is like March or something. Yes. Well, that does bring us to number two, which is our setting. So, not a big bad city, not a charming small town. It is a magical winter wonderland. So magical that everything is computer generated, except for Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Yeah. It's um, very much a, a a festive. Uh, it's like a festive theme park the yeah. way that this uh, place has been set out, and at the same time, it's also where the film runs into many of its issues because it's trying to justify the existence of Mrs. Claus, because obviously yeah. traditional legend has Mrs. Claus. She's just a dutiful wife who waits around and uh, and assists her husband and maybe occasionally snow- sews something if we look at like, you know, Santa Claus the movie, the uh, mm-hmm. go-to for like this mythology. And 
this film's trying to balance it out in the same way that the first film tried to balance Kate Russell Santa Claus that, you know, this idea that he's not the jolly fat man, that he's this one like off year he's had has now become like this hope from this whole mythology. Um and now people sort of like have got this mistaken idea of who he is and now they try to do the same with Mrs. Claus who in this version essentially does everything at the North Pole and Santa's basically claimed all the credit for it. Yeah, she does everything but deliver the gifts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so would she be then number three or bland love interest? I would say Tyrese Gibson's more, more yeah. bland well, love interest. Especially because he is a widowed dad, good. so... But, um, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, but at the same time, it's kind of, I don't want to really be so much go to home because she's really delightful in this movie. And it's her yeah. and Kurt Russell getting to work on a project together, which... Yeah, which is as charming. We, as we said with the first one, it's sort of like, it's not like Kurt Russell's got a lot of projects he can show the grandkids. And right, right. Now here's like a delightful film that they can, they can both show the grandkids. It's like, oh, look, here's your grandmother and she's mrs claus and your granddad's mr Mr. and it is cute to see them together because i mean i you know i i grew up with overboard and just you know thinking always thinking of them as a unit so it is cute to see them together i wish they were together for more of it they get separated pretty quickly in the scheme of things and then i i don't know i feel like she's a little underserved that they didn't fully they knew they they had her and that they wanted to put her in here um But they, and they give her cute things and they make her, I think like you're saying, they make her really important, but they don't make her that interesting. <laughs> no, I mean, she's very much the embodiment of the festive season. Um, whereas Santa obviously handles all the, the grunt work or the delivering the presents and things. She's sort of like the one who's behind the scenes pulling all the levers yeah. and i think by having them separated it gave her character at least some room to breathe because she's essentially teamed up with jack and sends him on his mission to um go and retrieve these these items because one of the reindeers gets injured and he has to go and get all these uh ingredients to make this brew to to fix the reindeer and uh i think obviously by the fact that you got them separated means that you can have her and Jack and then you can have Santa Claus and Kate going off and you've got these two separate storylines and it gives her time to breathe but at the same time she's, she doesn't really have any sort of emotional range like, as a character. Yeah she's, she's so very, good yeah she's just presented as very like I mean very sage very just you know wise old Mrs. Claus and you know I like I when I think Goldie Hawn I think Death Becomes Her and I think Overboard and I think you know these, these big like flawed women these sexy women these comedic women these clumsy women and she just doesn't kind of gets to play like a really dull role here and that's i don't know maybe the next one they'll do like with babe right where the first babe is all about james cromwell but then the second babe is about the wife like maybe they could do that with these with part three <laughs> it's yeah i mean i get what you mean with goody horn you you kind of want that southern sort of charm seeping through the she used to bring to all those sort of classic yeah. roles like the 80s yeah. and 90s. You look at like Bird on a Wire and and whatnot and I think certainly with this one, I mean it, they're trying to obviously give her a purpose to be in the film rather than just, you know, we're including Goldie Horn because we got Kurt Russell and isn't it a lark to have them back on the screen together and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, do you know that her, her hair's designed so she looks like a bauble? 
Oh, I, I, you know, I kept thinking she kind of looked, um, made me think of the Grinch, made me think of a bunch of the Who's in the Grinch yeah. and the way they would have that very high kind of bumpy blonde styling. Yeah, it's just when you look at the the top and it's got the the curve over the top. It it's ah. it's, it's supposed to look like the top of a bulbo and her head being okay. the best of it. So cute, cute. that was a that was a fun little thing. But yeah, the problem is that they're trying to give all this this purpose, but at the same time, it sort of like makes Santa seem like a redundant character. So like, oh, Mrs. Claus designed a whole of yeah. Santa's village, and they sort of like, well, what did you do exactly in this? Yes. Well, you're Kurt Russell and you look sexy. That's what you did. I know, and I think that they they play off each other very well. It's yeah. sort of like when they come back to that, and it's sort of like, well, is it, this is actually Mrs. Close's village, and he's like, well, that's something we're working on at the moment. Yeah. So, I think that that Kurt Russell, I think, saves a lot. So many of the clumsy moments of this this film, just yes. you know, being Kurt Russell. Oh yeah, uh, this it, this movie is built around his charm, and that's fine because it works. Yeah. But it, it also does mean when he is not on screen, it is not that good to me. Well, yeah, for the, for the most part, it's until he starts singing, and then you're like, yeah, maybe maybe we can go off screen a bit. So. Oh, we have different opinions there. But So let's keep going. Then number four is our montage, which, like, it, you know, it's the, the problem with this movie is because it is so computer- I don't even know where, what's a montage and what's just a lot of stuff happening at once. I assume that the Santa's Village is really where you would get the montage. Uh, but rather than, you know, cutting to many things, we're following the montage. What would, right, what would right. normally be the cuts? It's sort of like it's us going from one building to the next. Yes, and the, yes. Or in the Santa's Village, it's sort of like, oh, look, here's where we do this. Here's where we make computer games. Here's where we make candy games. It's all like you're zigging zagging back and forth between you're the right, shops. You're right, you're right. They're just fast scenes, montage. not montages. I'd agree. Uh, now, number five, though, we do – we make up for it because we have our dead dead parents – um, and we, we get we get dead dad and a dead mom. I wrote my the note I wrote was dead dad can't stop dead dadding because nope. let's talk about how like look again, I get it. It's it's awful parent eyes. That is the worst. I, I I can't imagine I know how terrible it must be. But like we went through that in the last movie and now I gotta do it again in this movie. Yes, apparently Kate um, has decided since the last movie that uh, she wasn't over for her dad, even though it was her brother before who was struggling to cope with the loss of her dad. So we've now apparently got to go back in time. Is in that, a scene ha- where is that seems, how it works? Yeah. seems well, that she's trying to hit on her dad as a kid. Oh, my God, yeah. You want to talk um, about – want to talk about uh, – th- that was – that that scene. Um, at one it point – like a completely different movie. Oh, that yes. That whole scene did. Well, so we go back in time. So somehow their, you know, their Santa sleigh gets all messed up and gets sent back in time. Yep. So Kate realizes when she goes to when they're they're trapped in an airport, and she goes to buy batteries because they need to recharge the sleigh, and the cashier won't accept her cash because it is dated the year 2020. Um, and so she ends up in like airport jail, and there's a, a little boy sitting there who's about her age. And, like, immediately the little boy kind of starts, like, I don't know. Like, look, if I was stuck in that situation, I would probably also be a talker. I'd also probably be like, hey, what are you in for? But, like, I don't know. Like, teenage kids don't normally just hit it off the way these two do. And I'm watching thinking, oh. And then I immediately am like, oh, this is definitely her dad as a kid. There is no way this is not her father. And 
It is. And they have weird chemistry. And I'm, I don't know. It's, yeah, I'm glad you caught that too. Because it made me uncomfortable. And I was like, am I overthinking this? Am I doing that? Do I just watch too much Law & Order SVU? And I'm thinking of that episode where James Vanderbeek would seduce young women by pretending to be their long lost father. And it was a thing where the psychiatrist is like, yeah, a lot of girls have this daddy complex where when they don't have a father and then they think they meet their father, they want to have sex with him. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, am I applying this to this movie? But no, it's there, right? It's totally there. I've, never, I've not even seen that episode. I've seen, I've seen pretty much every SUV, so wow. Yeah, you've got to find the James Vanderbeek episode. It's um, crazy. Oh, and then yeah, the best yeah, thing, yeah. twist twist to that episode. Um, it turns out he's not their father's. He's actually, like, just this vindictive dude who's been, like, yeah. trying to take people down. But the best th- scene is when they tell this girl, this, like, 18-year-old girl, by the way, the man you slept with who said he was your father is not actually your father. And the girl is so angry and disgusted that she did not sleep with her father, that she slept, just slept with men. So, side note, you all should watch that episode of SVU. I, I mean, I watched, I struggled with SUV since Munch left. The oh. dream team of uh, Ice Team Munch. I can't remember if, if this was post or pre. And um, now it's basically, you know, it's the Olivia show who keeps getting these stupid promotions. I mean, it's... No, it's she... Whoa, 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 whoa. Olivia Benson deserves to be captain. She deserves every when, promotion she's when got. When you the... compare it to the original sort of lineup where the captain was there with his scotch and his flat cap and he's sort of like, oh, i got a drink because this is a hard job. And now Olivia seems like, oh, I just don't, I just wish that they brought in someone else to be like the commish. I just need a, a tougher figure. And Olivia kind of like, she feels everything's too, She, I, I just don't, I'd miss her and, um, Hero partner. Um. So. So. No. You're wrong. Um, okay. They did. They did flirt. They, there was like a season where they kept trying to flirt with her being an alcoholic, because her mother yes. on the on the show her mother was an alcoholic, and there's like this season where like every episode would end with her drinking wine, like like chugging wine, and then like occasionally a character would say something about it, and yeah. you were and I was like, oh god, don't give us an alcohol storyline. I don't need that. I already have to deal with her stupid son. Um, but then they just walked away from the, it, so we're we're thankful for that. Me. Oh god, I hate her yeah. so much. By the way, the episode is called "Father Dearest," and it is from 2012. I highly recommend everybody stop everything and watch it. I know I'm really into Criminal Intensive because I missed it on its first run round, but it's kind of like uh, it's kind of what Cracker was for us guys here in the UK. It feels very much the same with uh, D'Onofrio's character in in um, Law and Order's Criminal Intent. Gotcha. Um, although my grandfather hated his episodes, he was sort of like, "Why is he <laughs> my mother to can't like stand it? his episodes?" I love Vincent D'Onofrio, but I cu- also couldn't kind of couldn't stand Criminal Intent. Oh, Criminal Intent's um, the underappreciated. It's like the CSI New York of uh, the Law and Order franchise. It's very underappreciated. Okay, one, one day I will I will test that theory. Yeah, but in the At meantime, they... yes, let's get back to this. Back yeah, to so the she's, dead um, stumbled into um, apparently grounded. And for myself, it seemed like, yes, that she's meet some cute boy and she's going to start flirting with it. And of course, he's going to flirt back because he's a young boy. And when you're that age, you're pretty much turned on by everything like the wind. Um, <laughs> so the fact that you've got some your daughter. Yeah. Well, he doesn't know it's a daughter. Mm-hmm. Same as, you know, Michael J. Fox's mother in Back true, to the Future. True, true, true. But um, yeah, he's. 
he doesn't mind the fact he's grounded and he's full of the Christmas spirit, which in turn is going to reunite her Christmas spirit and um, going to really, really make things work. The problem is that this scene is cutting away from the musical sequence that's happening on the other side of the airport, mm. where Kurt Russell, who apparently has, you know, without the E Street Band this time, has found someone else to do some singing with and he's doing that white middle of the road blues rock <laughs> yeah he's got a little like gospel thing going on um and rather than commit to this this big musical sequence like we did in the first film the film now cuts away constantly to this second film they're making apparently uh grounded two and it just is so jarring it's sort of like you've got them doing this escape thing and then it's not like you've got the music playing in the background or something, so we've got the connectivity. It's all like you cut away to Kate, and then we cut back to more the musical thing, and then we cut back to Kate. And it's like there's such a disconnect between that scene. There, There's, I mean, the thing, like, I think, I feel like Chris Columbus gets a very bad rap as a filmmaker. I think, you know, people kind of don't generally have kind things to say about him. But the truth is he makes movies that a lot of people see and pay for there's a reason you you look at his filmography and there are crowd pleasers right there's mrs doubtfire there's home alone there are movies that are you know pleasing to a lot of people but they are not restrained they are not uh skillful in some ways and well i think like as i'm saying that like i will often defend home alone because i like it makes me laugh it is you can pull it apart and say there's a lot of things that didn't age well but I remember being like eight years old and seeing that in the theater and it was the funniest fucking thing I'd ever seen in my life. And you watch it now with kids and they still love it. And there is... I don't know anyone who hates Home Alone. I mean, this is... I guess this must be an American thing because we we love it over here. It's like a real... Well, I think cause it, it was... It's, it's still like one of the biggest comedies of all time. Yeah. And I think, like, it's one of those movies, too, when you watch it today, there's so many things that would never fly in a movie in a movie today like that. There's just, you know, the whole, the violence, the cartoon violence, which is cartoon violence, but isn't treated as cartoon violence. So, like, there's yeah. that, that little, like, sense of, um, like, is this appropriate? Like, should you actually show this to kids? Like, and I- I'm not going to tell anybody how to raise their kids. I watch much worse things than that. I never tried to pull any of this on my siblings. So I think they're fine. But like, it's not. It, it's a beloved film by a lot of people, and then a but, but a lot of film people will just kind of sometimes tear it apart. But yeah, there's so. skill. You have to have skill to put that together, and it, some of that I think is on display here. But also like, kind of like the lack of finesse. I don't. I don't know what the word is. I don't know what it is that he misses. That I feel like this movie is a perfect example of it because it it's so. Over, it's kind of a he throws a lot of stuff at the wall, and a lot of it hits, and then a lot of it misses. But it's there's so much of it that you don't maybe count the misses as much. Yeah, I think the problem is that with this film, he's trying to build a mythology, so it's sort of like you know, uh, where does Father Christmas you know come from or Santa, whatever you want to call it, and they're like trying to build in all these ideas. So obviously, with this version of uh, Santa Claus, he's from originally from Turkey. And that he was this uh, originally this guy who went around delivering presents, and that he was recruited by the elves to take on this this mythological role and deliver presents to the world. And um, this basically they try they basically use this as a, a 
the, the to explain a lot of the McGubbins behind, you know, why nobody knows where the North Pole is and where Santa's workshop is and mm-hmm. all the rest of this. And I think it was also an excuse to cast Michael McDowell as a elf. Yes, yes. Um, and there were I was when I when they have like this, the magical star gets destroyed, and you know the the village gets revealed to the world essentially. Even though it, the real world never stumbles across it, so it's very anticlimactic in that respect. I was like so expecting to like, you know, go like Avengers moment and like recruit the Santas around the world because obviously we know around the mm. world people, they have the different spins. So you've got like, um, you could have like uh, the the Norwegian version of Santa Claus, you could have like the rare exports version, you could bring in Krampus mm-hmm. if you wanted. There's the Chinese uh, version who was like a monk who's got eyes in the back of his head so mm-hmm. he can see children being naughty. There's all these different ones that it could be like, okay, I'm going to need to call in some help and it's all like, you see the call going out to the different Santas of the world to come together to uh, to unite against Bolshnikel. But, um, you know, instead we get random time travel. And yeah. I mean, I can't fault Belschnickel as a villain. I think he was very interesting. I think it's a real sort of credit to um, the actor who's, who's playing it, who I completely misplaced who that is now, but he's a Norwegian kid. It uh, is uh, Julian Dennison is his name. Yeah, um, who, when I saw that first trailer for this film, I thought, oh, wow, they've gone, like, never-ending story free with this. <laughs> it's going to be, like, some some punk leader from the outside who's like for some reason really interested in destroying this mythical world that somehow will make sense but thankfully they didn't go that route they went um, the route of having him be another fantastical being who obviously wants the power of the North Pole for himself right so he's a a disgruntled elf He, he was an elf um, but he was like a really smart elf, so he kind of became like Santa's favorite elf. And then he got jealous of not being kind of the center of attention anymore. And then he started acting out and being evil, and that turned him into human. Right? That's what I got. Yep. Okay. Yeah. He's that's basically uh, it. And from then, he's been hanging out in the South Pole. Yes. Yes. Which geographically somehow in this film they're just right next to each <laughs> it other it works so i guess also that would bring us to six the sassy sidekick i guess he has his own little sidekick right he has one evil elf yes he does and, and we don't has, know um, do we know why that elf uh went renegade i can't remember do they explain that they don't explain why uh that particular elf went renegade maybe he's um felt that he deserved more credits as well okay. I, it's never explained he's just got this random elf who's there just to basically handle uh be the sneaky little elf mm-hmm. and um at the same time he's got his own snow cat who causes his own issues so i yes. think it was just basically because when you've got the evil force you need like the evil genius right you need the muscle and you need like the sneaky little underling Yes, so so he's assembled himself a good little menagerie. Yeah, um, and and I mean he is our. We don't have an evil woman. He is he is our our villain in this case. And yeah, I kind of I I was surprised because at first I didn't. I was like, what this this didn't seem like the right adversary in this movie, but it actually did work for me. I thought like that actor made it work. Um, it you know you could tell a lot of different Christmas stories in terms of somebody that hates Christmas, why do they hate Christmas? And this was one that was like, all right, this is slightly different. I haven't quite seen this one before. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that obviously with Belshnikov, he's, he's introduced as being this 
expert at making things um, mm-hmm. and the fact that he works so closely with Santa to create so many things um, works out really well because you can then have Belschnickel have like the sort of more twisted version of like Santa's sleigh for example and his sleigh is like guided by hyenas and it's got like an engine on the back and it's completely aerodynamic but it makes you an interesting contrast to the traditional sleigh that uh, Santa obviously has Yes, I mean, he is um, no um, toy maker from, like, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, but, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, rather than making to- toys for the good boys and girls, he makes, you know, sne- his old, all his toys are, like, w- are like uh, weapons, and even has his own version of the Power Glove, which they never reference. I was so sure they were going to drop a Power yep, Glove same. reference in, but sadly they don't. Yeah. All right, so number eight is Slapstick, which it, it's one of those movies that, like, because it's so CGI, like, I guess there was a lot of it, but I don't remember any of it because none of it was real. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Slapstick is basically all the elves in this uh, this one. They're turned by Belschnickel into basically... The crazies. This, yeah, they're turned into gremlins. They're, they're turned into George Romero's The Crazies, where I was going, but I, I guess gremlins might be more appropriate. I, did, I just saw, you know, like, small creatures with causing chaos and yeah, welding weapons. It, that's where my mind was going. But yeah, I could see the crazies mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, and then number nine, our sage old person, which I mean, I guess Mrs. Claus is probably the closest to it. Because she, like, it, it, you know, is the one that tells Jack, is it Jack? Is that the kid's name? Um, yeah. You know, she gives him bravery and then helps him recognize it in himself. And I, I, I mean, right, because, I mean, Santa doesn't really do much in the way of giving out wisdom, but she does. Yeah, and I mean, even though she's very youthful looking um, in her appearance, I mean, on the historical timeline, she would be. Oh yeah, they say they're both person, like what, she, so. like twelve hundred years old or something like that. So yeah, so yeah. the fact that she she takes care of her uh, appearance, I mean, we shouldn't really hold that against her. So yeah, no, but both of them lo- both of them look quite good for their age. Mm. And of course, number ten, Santa Claus is real, and obviously, he's you know he's back. He's <laughs> that would have been a twist. He... <laughs> There is actually no Santa Claus in the Santa Claus Chronicles. You're in, you're in a snowdrift, unconscious. This is all hallucination. <laughs> yeah, maybe eventually. That'll be like the fifth one. So moving on to the bonus round. Um, public domain holiday songs. We get a few. Yep, we get uh, a Christmas tree. Oh, yes. And not just like we get a Christmas tree. We get like, and again, I mean... Is it just me who hates the song and doesn't see how this could be anybody's favorite Christmas song? But it's treated as like, because Tyrese is singing it, and that's the whole, like, that was her father's favorite Christmas song. Really? Really? That's his favorite? It's certainly an odd choice to have as your favorite uh, Christmas song, but I suppose that you've got to credit them at least trying to do something different, and it's a song that you can make seem a little more dramatic than just... uh... True, true. There's something to have a few bars yes, to, but... As we learned this season with um, a New York Christmas wedding, you can make it sound very sexy if you do things differently. So if you film it over lesbians making out and do it really slow, then it actually becomes a very sexy song. So who knew? Now, I was not sure. I meant to look this up. Um, is Feliz Navidad public domain? I don't think it is, because otherwise I would hear it in more movies. But they do play that. And, play who let the bloody dogs oh out oh my god which I, I just sick to death of that song still you know, being around is there 
is there a better sign of a director being out of touch with like young people than him th- putting a song in that's supposed to be like the song all the kids are gonna love and using <laughs> who let the dogs out from 1999 i assume kids like it because they keep they having still... it turn up on like kids bop albums but and but, but isn't that stuff. because the people making those albums were a lot were like their age in 1999 isn't that why yeah i mean this, this is a song that was what originally put out for the rugrats movie i think it was no it's i thought a... it was just a song was it no 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 it was um it no. was put out i think it was rugrats in paris that they put it out for because Are the you video was sure like sure that was wait a minute um... they intercut the video with bloody clips from that movie yeah so i remember chucky in the, the reptile costume scratching his backside what the song okay i'm looking at wikipedia the song originally released on july 25th 2000 oh it was 2000 became the band's first and only hit um it gained popularity after appearing on the rugrats album i don't think it was written for the rugrats movie okay because i think yeah, it we just got it yeah at the same time here so That's yeah what I no no no, no no we had it i remember because it was like the summer i guess i would have been go like it was my my senior year in high school and it was just like i remember them playing at graduations like it was just everywhere and <laughs> it's not a song you i don't know it just as soon as that came on cuz remember like okay cuz remember when shrek came out and suddenly like you know smash mouth was the song you played in all trailers <laughs> yeah. like if you wanted to make a kids movie look cool you either included a song by smash mouth or who let the dogs out like or you did the mate like you would do the Matrix joke where you'd have a character jump and freeze in the air. Like all of that meshes in my head with this timeline of these things that for one year everybody thought were really cool, and it, it just it kills me when I see directors still leaning on them twenty years later. <sighs> it probably just goes to a lot of weddings, and that's what that's oh, that's, yeah. that's the thing is like Chris Williams is all like he goes to weddings and he sees like that song comes on and he sees like little kids doing the knee slide onto the dance floor and so like you know oh yeah yeah this is totally what the kids yeah. are down with that that does make sense I'll, I'll buy that um okay so moving on in the bonus round the next thing is the cloying cock blocking child and obviously yes um because we have Kate who's like here her mom is on a beach yep. with Tyrese Gibson and he's dancing and wants to pour pina coladas down her throat and this little bitch is like I want to go home I want I want to go to snow I want to go to cold awful Worcester Massachusetts where it's freezing <laughs> I don't want to be on a beach I don't want my mom to have beach sex like what is wrong with this girl yeah, I think that uh, Terry Gibson is fighting, boxing above his weight, but you know, but uh, good for him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, both of them have got their their own sort of issues. I mean, obviously, he's got it slightly easier because Jack is basically he's he's sort of like uh, attached to his father's leg, but at the same time, he can be sort of prized off and distracted with safe activities. Whereas Kate is just basically digging her heels in and saying that nope, I want to go home. I want to go and hang around and I'm missing yeah. all my friends who are apparently tweeting me all these messages to these Christmas parties that we're having because apparently back in the hometown everyone's super Christmassy and uh, are just like celebrating their asses off for Christmas parties and decorating trees and making eggnog and other festive activities um, so she's she does not want to be on the beach 
um celebrating christmas so, so yeah she's basically causing issues and um no wonder her her mother leaps to the chance to go and hang out in the jungle to go to some aztec ruin rather than and be around deal with her that kid. little brat yeah uh let's see next is ice skating which we do get we see elves ice skating in the background yep. so there's that uh canadianisms are signs that the movie was filmed in summer well there's plenty of signs that this movie was filmed on a i won't say soundstage like somewhere in a studio with nothing behind it because these poor actors have to constantly like look at things that are clearly not there uh let's see characters with christmas names eh, i mean they're all you know let's see i know eh, kate teddy claire Nah, nah. You got Grace, who's play, who's um, true, at the true. airport thing. Yep, played yep, by yep, yep, yep. Love. Yep. And that's important because it does go into karaoke. Um, you got uh, I'm, I'm just really grabbing at straws here, like Hakan. Yeah, there, there's there's not many, but but Grace does lead us into uh, her big scene, which is of course the airport. I would call it kind of karaoke. Airport sing-along, if you will. Yes, it's... Oh, it was so... When we look at the previous one, which were, were Santa's in jail, it felt like he had more of a setup. This one is just... Oh, my God. It's it's kind of like um, he saw the mute, the um, the scene in Beetlejuice where they're around the dinner table and they suddenly start singing. He's sort of like, oh, I can, I can totally pull this off in an airport that... These people are just angry at the fact that the planes are all grounded, are going to suddenly uh, have this big musical moment that's going to bring everyone together. And, um, yeah, it just it just made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, I, I did not have a problem with it, because I will never not welcome a random musical moment. This is the man <laughs> who gave us Adventures in Babysitting and the, you know, Babysitter Blues, of course. So the... What what I like about this is Kurt Russell's like, oh man, we're in an airport. Okay, we've got to get Chris. Oh oh, I I guess I have to sing. I, I guess I just we have to get Christmas spirit up. So I guess I mean I don't know. You have a microphone? Yeah, I have a microphone. Okay, I guess I'll just sing now. The, just like he's clearly so ready to do this at any time at the drop of a, like you know when somebody really like wants to help you with something and you don't really want their help, but they're just no matter what, they're like oh wait no I'll come over and help you cook. No 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 I really don't need help. But no no I'll tell I'll, I'm I'm there I'm there. No but I didn't like I feel like that's him with singing in these movies it's funny as well when you look at the fact that he's less concerned that now back in time with no christmas magic um whatsoever he's not concerned about this he's more concerned about events happening in the real world than he is like the fact that they've suddenly been sent back in time with seemingly no way of getting back um this doesn't seem to phase him at all but Yep. As long as he can find a way to work in that. <laughs> that he puts on the sunglasses. Styling. And he makes me think, and I might have said this last time, but it's still true now. Whenever you see those, a lot of times, like those those decorations where it's like dancing Santa and it's a Santa Claus that, you know, you, you battery power him up and you, you click him on. And he does the thing where he just kind of like bobbles back and forth. And sometimes there's he has a saxophone and sunglasses. That is the epitome of what Chris Russell looks like when he's singing in these movies. It's your grandmother's oh, yeah, yeah. like very, very cherished, sexy Santa Claus. Yeah, he's um, he's he's trying to go for that uh, that 
that uh, Jacob Jacob Blue sort of thing, where he's sort of like the older middle-aged guy in sunglasses, and somehow it's going to be instantly cool. And instead, it's like, no, this is this is just very jarring. And the only reason we're watching this is because it's Kate Russell doing it. Well, yes. anyone else, it would be like more cringy. But you know, Kate Russell is so assured in everything he does, he's able to pull off anything. So that, that's a very good description of him. And, and I think it's. Um... I have not seen. I know his his son is an actor. I have not seen the show that he's on, The Lodge, but I saw um, Overlord and uh, the Black Mirror episode he's in, and it's like yeah. it's something I realize. I'm like, oh god, I'm like he's so obviously Kurt Russell's son. He looks like him, but I'm like, there's also like, what is it about it? I'm like, it's the ease. It is that Kurt Russell and his son are both so easy to watch. Where no matter what they're playing, you they really are like the definition of a movie star. Where you like. You just want to watch them do stuff. It doesn't matter what they're doing; they are pleasing to watch do stuff. Yeah, I mean, I found that with Kurt Russell, he's he's aged so well, with like a good scotch or a fine oh, wine. Yeah, yeah. And I think as a as a movie watch, I never really paid too much attention to Kurt Russell as a, an actor until sort of like mm. later in life, and I've now sort of come back and appreciated all his his work. So yes, it was sort of one or two like films that sort of stood out, like. Uh, you know, like Breakdown and Big Trouble in Little China. But when I was sort of like coming up, like my big sort of action heroes were always like Arnie and Stallone and to an extent like offshoots to like Van Damme and um, uh, Seagal. And I never really paid too much attention to Kurt Russell, who was kind of like more the everyman. He was he was basically right. doing um, the Mel Gibson style of action. Yeah, yeah. Where he wasn't he was just all more the everyman who was thrown into this situation that he has to mm-hmm. work around and i think the fact that kurt russell is just uh, you go back and you just realize just how good kurt russell is and the fact he's he's still good yes he never really lost it like unlike a lot of these guys who sort of stumbled off into ill-advised projects sure yeah he's always been just on form like everything's just constantly moved around even now when he's doing like family movies yeah well and i think he he's very selective about what he does i think he doesn't he doesn't do throwaway films he seems to i mean he doesn't have to work i'm sure he's very wealthy he's been acting since like you know appearing yeah like that's on true the he was a kid and uh disney movies like um world's strongest man and things like that yeah, no, that's a, a very good point that he's, you know, he grew up in the business. He was a child actor. So he probably has that, I, I don't know. I mean, again, he doesn't have to work. By, by no means does this man need additional salary. But when no. he does, he does seem to pick pretty interesting projects still. Or he works with people I guess he wants to work with. Definitely so. I think. I think, like, you everything, when you look at Kate Russell's life and stuff, it's always at, like, Kate Russell's paces. I mean, him and Goddy Horn only got married, like, the last few years or something. It was did all they like... ever actually get married? I thought they still just kind yeah, of... They, they actually I think did... they got married. It's just the fact that, you know, they just, they, they felt it was, like, the time, and they've been dating for, like, years at this point, so... I don't know, on IMDb, they're, they're not listed as married on IMDb. Are but... they? No. I mean, they're I'm common so sure law if they've been to. living together long enough, depending on what state you're in. It works different, I think, by state in the U.S. I don't know how it works uh, by you, but different states have different laws about that. So technically, yeah, like, they have was, the same rights, probably, but... I was sure that um, that they were, but... I'm, Not I just, listed. Like, yeah. When you see, like, I see, like, interviews from when he talks about... Uh, Talks about Goldie and stuff like. Oh, oh, I'm... they're together. They they've been together. I don't. I just don't know oh, that yeah. they are legally married. 
Yeah, no, it's just like the charming like uh, marriagey things that they have. It's like, oh, oh yeah, Goldie's. We have DVDs, but like Goldie just like hides them all in like these photo book things. We don't have the cases, and so it's like all these charming little slice very charming. moments yeah. they have. Well, and I think I don't know if you saw the uh, article that I think it was Vulture that I shared on the Facebook page about how like he was talking about the movie and how impressed he was with it, and he was like, they made a language for the elves. Can you believe they did that? They actually wrote a, a fake language for this movie, and it's a real language now, and you can speak it. And it's just so charming because it's like I guess he's never watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> that like it's now become kind of a common thing you do in movies, but just how impressed he was with this one aspect of this movie, just adorable. Yeah, I assume so because I mean his main sort of streak of movies was like what the eighties through to like the mid nineties, and it's only with like Lord of the Rings that you have people like go off and make a full language. I mean, you obviously had Klingon before, but in Lord of the Rings you had Elvish. If uh, then obviously with Game of Thrones you. You've got uh, Delphraki, mm. and uh, which you can actually, if you've got like Duolingo, you can learn Delphraki yeah. now. Yeah. Um, if you've got time on your hands like that, so. <laughs> I mean, hey, a lot of people do right now. It's quarantine. Um, yeah, but uh, okay, back to the bonus uh, sprinkle sound effect. We have so many, so many because this is a magic movie. So every time something magic happens, you get the sound. Which in this is um, subtitled. I like to see how, how they're subtitled differently. Like in the Dolly movie, it was, I think, Ethereal Twinkling. In this movie, um, it was Chimes Jingle is what they call yeah. that sound effect. So, uh, Balance of red and green in costumes. I feel like there's a lot of red, less green. Yeah, it's very white, isn't it? It's very yeah. sort of uh, snowed in. And even when you look at the, the Christmassy village... And because I compare everything to like Santa Claus movie, because that's like the benchmark for what Santa's workshop should look like. Okay. It seems to lack a lot of the magic there. It feels very industrial. Yes, yes, I'd agree. Um, even though they're trying to like, you know, do these, uh, have those sort of magical moments, like when you look at where computer games are made, and it's like all these huge spiraling towers, and the you've got elves playing video games and things like that, but. Just like when I look at those uh, conveyor belt sequences with like the candy canes we made, it it felt like a very underlit room. Yeah, um, it's all like the these shops that um, handle different aspects of, of Christmas. It just it doesn't have wonder, I think, and that's where. And I was thinking about this because, um, and and I was listening to a podcast where uh, the hosts were talking about like movies for kids, like what what are the first movies you show your kids, and talking about like their kids and how. Um, it's always been animated movies. Like, that's what's currently made for kids, and that's what they watch. And it got me, like, thinking, and I'm curious, you, you mean, you're a father, you have children. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we when we were growing up, we, we certainly had animated films, mm. but we also had a whole lot of live-action films, and I think we all watched a lot of older live-action movies, right? That, like, Wizard of Oz, and a lot of those 70s Disney movies, and, and things that weren't necessarily being made for us, but that we were still... Uh, to me, I never thought, oh, I want to watch a cartoon today, or, oh, I want to watch a real movie. It was just what I'd watch, and I didn't love cartoons. And granted, the cartoons weren't great in our generation. Um, but now, what... Because so to me, when I look at this movie, I'm the visuals I find genuinely unappealing. Like, I enjoyed this movie, but I think visually, I, I don't like it. I don't like the way they everything is so cgi yeah. it's it's lacking any kind of kind of magic to it i feel like it's just 
feels like it was just so many things thrown at me and none of them stick. It, it feels like a Phantom Menace in that way of, look, I can do a lot of special effects. Okay, but are any of them interesting? Um, but I'm curious. You and your your kids, yeah. how, you know, do they gravitate towards cartoons? Do they prefer computer animation? What 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 you got? Um, oh, this is a, this is a thing. I mean, when it comes to 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 my kids especially, I mean, because they grow up and all they know is like computer effects, and yeah. I mean, they they like the cheap CGI animation that Disney use now. When you look at Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse stuff, this is really okay, awful CGI. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas we came up, as you said, I mean, we came up with cell drawn animation and uh, like. Harry Housen has like effects, you know, practical like um, stop motion effects, and we it, it was a very different style of filmmaking that we have, and I think the kids today don't know any different, so they came up with like CGI effects and stuff. So these things don't seem so obvious to them because it's all they sort of know. And whereas we've grown up with like all these sort of charming, very physical things, such as like me, like when you watch a Del Toro movie and he's using practical effects, and you realize just like what's been missing from films, this presence of something being on the screen. Um, and because they, they don't, these things don't register to them because they're so used to things being CGI and the, you know, everything being like, um, being CGI and they don't really register if it's like bad CGI or anything it's mm. just you know what they grew up watching and I mean for myself I mean I grew up I loved um, like animation it did, if I was watching something normally the way to get me to watch it is if it was animated or it had a monster of some sort mm-hmm. so I loved like things like Legend and Crow all these things that had like monsters and things in that sure. was where my interest was um, so that it's it's. I think just the fact that the kids are raised on this style of filmmaking now, they don't notice it. Whereas we yeah. were obviously used to a time when people put effort into filmmaking as bad as that sounds. Because I know when you talk filmmakers, it's like, oh, it's you don't have the setup time and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, your shortcuts are detrimental to the audience's experience. Yeah, um, and it's hard not to sound like a grumpy old person when we say it. Because, yeah. because I can completely and fully acknowledge there are a lot of things that are being done better today than they were, you know, and, and I am not one of those like, oh, well, you know, the, the book's always better than the movie and mm. and uh, the original is always the best thing. Like, no, 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 that's bullshit. Like you, like everybody's original, Any anything can be better than anything. But there is something, I think, when I look at, and, and also, again, I always have to preface it with, I don't have kids. So... I, and I get why these a lot of these properties are so fast and and cheap to churn out now, and you can do them in you know um, a lot of times it is not does it's not like houses where the animators are artists they're technicians and they're given a job to do and they do it and and I don't mean to take away from a lot of that because there is at the somewhere there is a design but I guess. I don't know because again I get it like these things work for kids right like this is what kids want to see I guess but when I watch this I really see it where I'm like you know this would be so much more fun if they did it more Wizard of Oz style or if they if the elves like I get that the elves have to be kind of animated but if I think of even like Tim Burton's um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where he he manages to do it like like the way he does Deep Roy as all of the Oompa Loompas, like, it's a real person doing it, and it really does something cool to the movie. I don't know. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think my biggest issue, really, when you look at these things, and it's to bring you back to when you mentioned about Home Alone before, you look at the opening of Home Alone where how the characters talk to each other and, and interact with each other. The fact that Kevin gets called a disease by one of his family members. Um, the, that you got his brother is just like an absolute jerk to him and you've got this real sort of chaos and stuff. Now films are made with such like concern over the fact that they're going to offend somebody and it's mm. going to hit all these markers like we've got to appeal to all these different sort of crowds we've got to represent all these different people whereas the films we obviously came up with they were just like made because um this is how the story is going to be told so these characters being represented are because of this is the story we tell it's not that we've got to have like um we've got to have a multiracial family now we've got to have like kids who are never in peril that uh, you can't have you know children being talking the way kids are because kids are horrible to each other mm-hmm. and but in the way the movies are now it's like nobody goes as like hard as like when you look at the 90s kids movies and like the 80s kids movies and the kids are absolutely disgusting to each other and they call each other horrible names like butt munch and fart nuggets and all the rest of this and you just don't get that in modern films because yeah and i can't decide because i don't mind not getting that like i i i don't mind moving away from some of the really awful things of Mm. of the 80s but i guess and i don't know if they had to go together but i don't know there's something visually that just feels so tame and you know as you're saying that like I can see it because I know that was one of the things even that people always kind of said when you compared Chris Columbus's Harry Potter movies to Alfonso Cuarón's and everybody that came after where like I guess the third film feels dangerous like there is a different element to it that is not in the first two and then goes away once they kind of standardize on okay but we have to wrap, wrap everything up in a bow so yeah the cleanness is certainly a part of it yeah, and I mean with the I mean with the Harry Potter movies, I mean J.K. Rowling's basically wrote them so that they were growing with the audience. That's why they get dark right, as right. they they go along because you know the kids reason them are not going to be the same age. They're going to want different things, and certainly the characters in these books are getting older. Yeah, true. Um, and as much as I hate Harry Potter, I just oh, I can't watch those movies because of Emma Watson. It's sort of like it's not just one movie of Emma Watson; it's like eight movies of Emma Watson acting. But she's um, Hermione, and I love her. Oh my god, I just. Oh, there is nothing that will make me turn off a movie quicker. It's her and Kira Knightley. Um, oh, you, Kira Knightley, I should kick you off this show right now. At least Kira Knightley. We do not talk ill me. about Kira Knightley around these parts. I suppose this is an American thing because you find this, this like fake Britishness charming, whereas just like, this is just horrible. And Emma Watson is like, every time I see her try to be a serious adult actor now, it's just like. It's just so bad. It's like when I saw her like in the bling ring and they were like, oh, yes, she could totally win an Oscar for this. It's like, no, she could not. Um, and whereas Keira Knightley at least went on to make Domino the greatest guilty pleasure movie of all time. You go to Domino for Keira Knightley? Come on. Come on. Atonement. I... Never let me go. You, you, sir. You see, these are all these are all Keira Knightley being very British in Atonement. And again, I can't watch. I don't watch a lot of like very British movies, like costume jumps and stuff, because it's it feels too much of like what's around us, and that's why I like American films because it provides that sort of exoticism. Um, so, like you know, when we watch like American films and we see like the grimy streets in New York and stuff, and compared to like the cobble streets of London and Misty Moors and the rest of the stuff that uh, we got sort of surrounded to us, so it's very sort of old hat. 
But uh, yeah, I've never, I've never been convinced by Emma Watson as a. Did you see Little Women? I did see Little Women. I felt that it was shouldn't have been snubbed by the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I just said I just uh, you know there's certain actors like you just can't be convinced of why they keep getting cast in things. No Clark being another. Do I know who that is? He was Mickey on um, Doctor Who. And he got I've never really watched Doctor the Who. fact that he was playing this joke character, so he went off and made kidulthood, and suddenly so started like uh, pretending he was like from the streets and London and whatnot. So okay, you... but uh, yeah, I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree when it comes no, to. I think I that will have to be it. Such strong opinions on Emma Watson and her acting ability. Uh, honestly, in truth, I, j- I haven't seen much of her acting. I mean, I've seen the Harry Potter films. I've seen Little Women. Mm. Uh, that might be it, but um, I I love her in those. I think she's a great. Yeah, I, I think she's exactly she's who she should she be in Hermione. Um, and I I love to. It's funny we we're talking a lot about uh, Harry Potter in recent days, and th- one thing about the movies that I I've always I that no matter what, and this is also a Chris Columbus thing, is you have yeah. to give him credit because he had a big hand in casting. And boy, did they cast it right, not just in, okay, these act like, and again, the actors vary in how good they are in those parts, but that they were smart enough to cast, like, I don't know this for a fact, but I assume one of the biggest factors in casting those kids was also un- meeting their parents and making sure that these kids were, had, like, normal parents who weren't going to turn them into Lindsay Lohans, um, and so that was something I've always liked about Emma Watson is that I think she really ended up like, and again, I, I don't follow her that closely, but that many of the things, especially when she was younger and very much still connected to the Harry Potter series and had this huge audience of young people that looked up to her, that she did make a point of basically being Hermione in her real life. Like, I really respect that, that she was talking about voting and college and believe in yourself and all these things that like you know i have a niece who's um who's 16 who was a huge harry potter fan for a while and like Mm. she wanted to be hermione and like i was always like oh good and she has somebody to look up to like there there was something very charming about that so uh anyway it's a whole of a show that we can like apparently yeah fascinating i mean i did not know it was such a contentious uh bone i mean yeah i mean i like the fact harry potter gets kids to read which is great oh yeah i love anything that gets kids to read is fine by me um yes i think because like i worked in the book trade when harry potter was coming through and then twilight and stuff so yeah you get these things sort of rammed down your neck and you spend all this time looking at it you sort of see all the sort of cracks in where things are the fact that these characters the rules never apply to them. We make all these big statements <laughs> about rules, and they they never apply to Harry. Ten points for Gryffindor. And it's we're breaking like, the rules that we said were every, very important. And it's all like, oh, we're going to go a quest, which means Harry's got to go, which means that uh, his ginger psychic's got to go. I can't remember the names now. And Hermione's going to constantly point out the flaws and be the 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 smarty one. So, and this is going to be the same story we're going to tell, and we're just going to cast whoever's been in who's a British and can act in these things but yeah I just Harry Potter for myself just never resonated with me like it did just so, like so many of my countrymen that do absolutely love Harry Potter and send me pictures of them at Harry Potter land so <laughs> I get it I get it okay well the one or two things left on our list um, baking and actors inability to fake eat 
Um, I feel like we get real eating. We get cookies, right? And we get yeah. uh, we get bacon, magical cookies at that. So yes, weaponized cookies as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm I'm always for. And um, yeah, yeah. As I said, I was there was a you know I I love the idea of you know baked goods providing you with uh, with the courage you need to get stuff done. So. Yeah, I mean, hey, it works for me. That, that That's the real reason why I eat so many cookies. Uh, so tell me, Christmas Chronicles 2, which does not have a subtitle, does it? It's just Christmas no, Chronicles 2? No, surprisingly so. I feel like that's lazy. Uh, do you recommend it? Not as much as the first film. Um, I think that the first film was enjoyable for what it was. Um, I'm not certainly not going to be as harsh on this as I see so many critics out there being of, like, you know, it's a dumb squib of a Christmas movie. It's not. It's an enjoyable Christmas movie. At the same time, it's, it's very throwaway because of being that. Yeah. Um, and I think when you compare it to the other sort of Christmas movies that we've had come out this sort of latest batch and and um, whatnot, it's certainly been one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if the, this is something I would like throw on. If... Um, if we were entertaining and you need something to distract the kids, then I would, uh, I would, I would see that this would be a good one to put on. I mean, it's also got the length, which helps. Even though, <laughs> when you sit down to watch it, you could like, oh, you could totally hack off like twenty Definitely. minutes off this, yeah, and it would be a much better sort of experience. But um, yeah, I mean, it's. I appreciated the fact that it took some risks. The fact that you have a scene where you think that Belschnickel and Santa Claus are going to have this epic air battle. As they set up to like play chicken at each other, and then suddenly it stops. It's sort of like it tears the nuts off its own movie. It's sort of like, oh, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. We thought we were gonna have like this huge sort of like big special effects sort of sequence, and um, instead it's like, nope, gonna stop it right there. Yeah, too much peril for the kids. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess I feel this mostly the same way as I did on the first one. Um, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's definitely a good throw in the background for kids movie. Yeah. I I don't know that I'll remember which was which in a year as far as like part one versus part two. I don't know that I liked this any more or less than the first one. Uh, I probably like the first one a little bit more, I think, but I don't know I why. Think, <laughs> I think the first one I enjoyed more because it's got that um, one crazy night style story true, to it true and there's so many moments i remember from the first one such as like when santa's trying to get a ride and he's speaking all the different languages to the yeah, people yeah. in the diner um those sorts of moments that sort of stood out for myself and this one yeah. it's well it's got an interesting sort of villain and i appreciate what they were doing mm-hmm. with Nickel. yeah um it's just we spend too much time going oh look at the magic of santa's village and it at the same time, they've not put any real magic into Santa's film. Exactly, so. they put a lot of computers into it. And I um, think, too, I think Teddy's arc in the first one was more interesting than Kate's. I, I think his being, like, bad teen to, like, a nice kid is a little bit more interested than bratty, spoiled teen to, oh, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have been such a brat. There was something oh, with yeah. a little more weight in the first one to that. And the fact that we got, uh, when we had, like, Santa going from being a grump to finding his own Christmas spirit I thought was really good and when you met the elves and the fact that they're all like got weapons and chainsaws yeah, and things, it, yeah. there were more surprises really, really in the first one whereas in this and I mean 
now that I'm saying that, it reminds me a lot of like, I remember being like, we're saying about Home Alone, being eight and going to see Home Alone and thinking it was the greatest thing in the world. And two years later, they made Home Alone 2. And boy, how exciting was that? And I remember sitting in the theater and watching it and getting like progressively angrier. And the movie ended... And I remember looking at my siblings, looking at my parents, and being like, "It was they just did the first movie again. They just did it. Everything was exactly the same, but it's in New York. Everything was exactly the same. And as like a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old, that made me yeah. so angry. And I understand now that's what most big-budget sequels often do, especially to a movie that's a crowd-pleaser. But there is something, you know, very lazy and uninspired about it. And I guess that's kind of, I think the more I'm talking it out, the kind of how, where I land on this one. Aside from the, Terminator Time Traveling Dad. Yeah, the problem I have with Home Alone 2 is the fact that even as a kid, you see when it comes to like the big stump parts at the end, you look at it and when he's doing like the handstand of the toilet, you look at it going, this is stupid to me and I'm a kid. Whereas <laughs> the first one, it had that Laurel and Hardy style slapstick sure, yeah. to it. It's like where we've got a the the robbers have got a goal they want to achieve, but they're going to have all these obstacles that they're going to hit in the way, and we're just going to constantly go back and forth. We're going to hit things, and all the sort of real sort of tumbles they took was all like, oh yeah, that's you know that's believable. It's nothing too insane, even though there are some pretty brutal bits in there. Um, the second one was just like like when you have bricks thrown off the top of the building. It's <laughs> like, like no, they are dead. They are dead from the very first gag. <laughs> It's like, uh, I, get it, I like. I, get it. I mean, I liked to, and to the point, it just gets into it so it gets really sort of stupid, and it becomes kind of mean. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though these are like bad people, you think, God, this is mean <laughs> even to them. He is torturing them. Yes. Yeah. But um. So yeah, so that's free. Yep. So I guess for both of us, this is kind of a mild recommend. Yeah, I mean, if you enjoyed the first one itself, I think you you want to continue the story. So you probably would have seen it already, as soon as they they saw this one. And and part, of, I mean, I really want, hope want them to be a Christmas Chronicles free, um, to because it feels that this is sort of series that would make a good trilogy. Um, although obviously, I have no idea what they would do for a third right, film. Right. Yeah, well, um, we'll find out. I think this was very watched. Um, but we'll we'll see if they come back or not. I guess it all depends mostly on whether Kurt Russell wants to. But time will tell. Um, so, Elwood, where yes. where do you direct people if they would like to hear and read more of you? Um, well, as always, my main hub is from the depths of the hell, which uh, we've just recently moved over to WordPress um, after seven or eight wonderful years over on Blogger. It felt time to move it over from the antiquated structure that it is and have a fresh start so I'm at uh, from the depths of doing hell wordpress.com um, my various uh, podcasting projects you can also check out I've got movies and tea I host with the wonderful Kim Lowe we've uh, in the midst of um, our David Fincher season and uh, we've wrapped production on our season six I want to say which is our female directors of note so we looked at uh, one of your favorites Karen Kusama very nice uh, we also looked at like Clueless, and we looked at uh, XX. Cool. Um, just, just a really wonderful season because whenever people talk about female directors, they always like talk about the ones who are making costume dramas and like really heavy sort of movies that just make you want to kill yourself. And we just were like, no, there's 
female directors out there making really interesting movies of note, uh, be it like comedies, or they're making like really awesome horror movies, as we saw with XX. So we really wanted to uh, celebrate that. So we did a whole um, season of uh, female directors uh, celebrating that. So you can check that out. Um, we also got the Asian Cinema Film Club, which I host with uh, Stephen, uh, which is um, just, again, it's just a celebrate Asian cinema. And over there, because of the lockdown, we started doing a chapter by chapter breakdown of Battle Royale. So, Very cool. Um, that's been a, another wonderful project as well. So. Excellent. Now, I guess with that being said, um, go on out there, raise your Christmas spirit. Otherwise, Kurt Russell will come and sing at you. <laughs> what a threat that is. Mm-hmm. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? 